Now this guy, Joseph, it's a long-established tradition of the Christian church that Joseph probably died before Jesus was crucified. Because when Jesus was being crucified, as the eldest son who had the, had the care of his mother, as he's upon the cross, he says to John, the apostle, he says, Behold your mother. He entrusts Mary to John to be watched over, which is only the appropriate thing for him to do. He didn't... Joseph probably had passed away. Now this man, Joseph, in the story, he was a solid guy. And as you read in Luke's Gospel, where it says that uh, when Joseph found out that his girlfriend was going to have a baby, well, he didn't act too crazy. He was a solid fellow. He was a working class man, measured in his reactions to his scenes. He lived in a town called Nazareth, and he had a girlfriend. Her name was Mary. And they had entered the part of their relationship that we call today engagement. But in their day, an engagement was very serious. It was a contract two people had entered into, a contract of marriage. They were contractually married. That's why you see Mary being referred to as the wife of Joseph already, even though they have never had sex yet. And he says he's going to, he thinks about divorcing her because this contract was a serious thing. They were in the contractual period of the marriage, but they had not yet entered the conjugal section of their marriage. Now this marriage was probably arranged by their parents, but it was certainly agreed to by Joseph and Mary. And the people around them did refer to them as being man and wife and thought of them as such. Now, while I'm here, let's skip ahead here. So, in our text of Scripture, it talks, it talks about their, their, their status as man and wife, but Mary is a virgin. She's a spouse of Joseph. She's never had sex. So while we're here, we should talk about sex for a second. All in favor, say hi. Hi. <laughs> now, there's nothing in the world wrong with sex. There's nothing in the world wrong the only thing that's wrong with sex is when people have it and who they have it with. You should not have sex until you're married. That's the time to have sex. You should abstain from sexual activity until you get married. And then once you get married, you should only have sexual relations with the person to whom you are married. That's God's order. That's the way, that's the way it ought to be. That's the best way it ought to be. I can say from, uh, with, with some authority, that is the best way, not because of my own experience, but because that's what God's prescription is. God has arranged things so that we can be very happy in this world if we will follow his commands. We'll follow them. So if you're here today and you're not married, I urge you to not engage in sexual relations until you are married. And if you have been messing around, fooling around, sleeping around, <laughs> have whatever term you want to call it, just knock it up. Just stop. It's part of your service to the Lord, especially if you're a Christian. The apostles say over and over in the, in the church epistles, do not let fornication be once named among you. In every epistle to the local churches, the, the apostles always mention, do not Commit fornication. 
Now, why do they say that? Because it's a common problem. It was, it's not just a common problem today in 2023. It was a problem in 1990, in 1980, in 1970, 1960, 1922, 1822, all the, way, all the way along. And then the second thing I would urge you not to do is not to commit adultery. If you're here and you're married, don't be unfaithful to your spouse. Don't commit adultery. Stay committed to that person. Keep yourself to the person to whom you are wed. And then you can have some blessings in your life. Don't, don't commit these sins. These are sins against the marital institution, sins against God. Now, Mary is referred to in the Bible as being the virgin Mary. Uh, sometimes you might, you might see the, the definite article left out, but oftentimes she's referred to as the virgin Mary. Now, some of these ideas about the virginity of Mary has been carried to extremes by our Roman Catholic friends who believe in the perpetual virginity of Mary. They believe that Mary was a virgin when she, was, when she conceived Christ and when she bore Christ, but then that Joseph lived with her as a husband in a state of perpetual celibacy, that he had the gift of celibacy within his marriage. And Mary remained, remained a virgin for the rest of her life. This, this is an error, a fairly serious error, I would say, because the scripture is fairly clear on it, that Jesus had brothers and sisters. The Bible uses the normal word, even in Greek, uses the normal word to refer to siblings. I have one brother. These are not cousins. There's another word for cousins. These are his brothers and sisters. Joseph and Mary, after Jesus was born, they did have sex, and they did have other children. Some of those children became writers of Scripture, especially James in the New Testament. Now, there are reasons, the reasons for not believing in the perpetual virginity of Mary, there, there's a few of them. I only have time to mention a couple of them. One is that Jesus said, the Bible says Jesus had brothers and sisters. Plus, if Joseph and Mary were married and never had sex, this would be an unnatural situation. Something not approved of by God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the Apostle Paul, who is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says that men and their wives should not withhold sexual pleasure from one another. It says there may be times when you need, when you ought not to have sexual relations. But in the main, husbands and wives should enjoy sexual union. So there are good reasons for not believing the perpetual virginity of Mary. It's not just a Protestant thing, it's a biblical thing. And I would like to say this is that all Protestant doctrines are scriptural doctrines. <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, if we, like John MacArthur said, you know, I'm sure there are errors in my theology. I just don't know where they are. <laughs> Mary is called the Virgin. Now, this is worth noting. She is, because the birth of Christ requires this. Now, when Mary and Joseph, they're also both believers. I, I, I infer that because they both have a relationship with God. Because when the angel of the Lord comes to them and speaks to them, both of them surrender their lives to God, even though it's going to cause them some unpleasantness in their life. I'd like to say this to you, who are here today, who say that you are a Christian. I want to ask you if you are surrendered to the Lord with your life. Have you surrendered to Him? Is he the true king and lord of your life? 
Is he the governor? Is he the boss of you? Have you surrendered your life to God's will? Now there are there's parts parts to God's will that are like the general orders for the United States military. Just the general will of God. Things that everybody ought to do. But then there are specific wills of God or special calls of God that people must fulfill with their lives. Things that God wants you to do that nobody else can do. Are you submitted to God's will for your life? And I've been a Christian a long time and I've been going to church my whole life and I know what it's like to know what God wants you to do but, but not like what God wants you to do. I know what it's like to wrestle with that. And I know that God does speak to people. And he calls them to different things. Different things he wants them to do with their lives. Different, different things he wants them to take up or become involved in. And we can reason our way out of it. We, can, we have all kinds of reasons for not obeying God and doing God's will. Remember our brother in the Old Testament, Moses? When God called him and said, Moses, I want you to go back and lead the people out of captivity? What did Moses say? Did he say, yes, sir, Lord? He came up with a lot of excuses. Well, I can't, because I'm not a good talker. And God says, Aaron can talk for you. But then when you read the account of Moses' exchanges with Pharaoh, who do you see talking? Moses is doing all the talking. All of your reasons for why you can't do God's will for your life are bad reasons. You should just submit to God's will. God may be calling you to do something that you know you cannot do, but God can enable you to do those things. Now here in our text of Scripture, God calls Mary to be the mother of the Messiah. But what does she say? How, how can this be? I, I, I've, never, I, I've never had sex with a man. How can I be a mother? How can this happen to me? And what does God say? The Holy Spirit will overshadow you, and you will conceive. My friends, I want to say to you, if you will surrender your life to God, if you will do God's will for your life, it will not, it doesn't mean you're going to be happy, happy all the time. But you will never regret doing God's will for your life. I have regretted not doing God's will many times. But I've never regretted a time when I did God's will. And sometimes while I'm doing God's will, I don't quite understand why he wants me to do, the thing, do those things. I'm trusting that he is going to make a plan to me in the future. Now one of the things that Mary and Joseph are both called upon to, to bear and to, to carry with them, part of their burden in carrying out God's will, is they have to live with shame. <laughs> This seems to me to be the primary burden that Mary and Joseph have to endure in their service for God. God calls Mary to bear the child, and he calls Joseph to be the surrogate father of the child, to raise the child as his own. But in doing this requires them to be exposed to shame. What God does is he asks them to give up their good reputations to win a higher accolade. When the angel appears to Mary in chapter 1, he says, you're going to have a baby. She says, this can't be. But the angel says, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you and you will be with child. Now, the conception of Christ in the womb of Mary is a mystery that confounds theologians and scientists. You see, the Holy Spirit 
is a spirit and therefore intangible, but the egg inside the, the woman's ovaries, that is a physical thing. Very small, but still real and tangible and actual. And how can you merge the two together? Something that's spiritual and intangible, how can you fuse it with something that is physical? Well, I don't know how that can happen. It's the mystery of the incarnation. Nobody knows how it can be. But we know that God, by His Spirit, did this. Just to kind of illustrate the way God does things. We know that God creates tangible things out of nothing. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He made everything that is out of nothing. He spoke it into existence. So, in one sense, the world in which we live in, look around and view it, behold the works of God, and realize that those things began as an idea, intangible, immaterial, in the mind of God. But then one day he said, let there be. And there was. This God whom we serve, he has incredible power. So he can do the things that are impossible. That's why it says in Luke 1, 37, with God, nothing shall be impossible. You see, the, the, wor the world that we live on, this planet that we live on, exists in a universe, and it's worn by a sun that God spoke into existence. Now God says, I'm going to do this miracle in the womb of Mary, and he does it. Now, now there, is, there is a kind of a popular heresy. Um, it can't be too popular, because probably none of you guys know about it, so it can't be too popular. But uh, there, there is, a, there is a, an error about the person of Christ because the question is, um, was where did Christ get his humanity from? Uh, you guys ever, you guys ever heard of Anabaptists? Anabaptist. Mm -hmm. If you ever see Mennonites, Mennonites are basically Anabaptists, and and I don't know if this is universal amongst them, but it was a it was a view they had in the 1500s. And that was that Christ was made of celestial flesh. That he was not a man like you and I, that he was a different kind of man. And that he was in one sense miniaturized and placed into the womb of Mary. Because if Mary had any, if Mary was a sinner, then he would have some taint of sin in himself. You can kind of follow that, that thinking. It was an overreaction against Roman Catholic theology. Now, we always overcorrect, don't we? People always overcorrect. It's, it's the way it is. But this is the mystery of the incarnation. Christ receiving his humanity from Mary and his deity from Christ. Now, Joseph and Mary, sometimes people think that people, just because somebody lived a long time ago, they're dumber than they are today. I mean, if you went up to Joseph and Mary and said, hey, can I borrow your phone? What would they say? Oh. Well, I need, I need to call Uber. What's an Uber? You know, there's people, we think people lived a long time ago, they didn't know. But here, Mary and Joseph, when God says, you're going to have a baby, Mary, Mary says, this can't be, it's impossible. There's no way this can happen. They know that the normal way in which children come into the world are men and women create children. And Mary says, how can this be? And that's normal. But God reaches into their sphere, into their world, and does something unique. 
he reaches into normal and does a miracle. So this child who was born of Mary was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. His father is God, and his mother is Mary. And we confess usually that he is very God and very man. Very God and very man. Now Mary, upon hearing this fabulous news, upon hearing that God wants her to do this, she says something remarkable. She says, Behold, I am the servant. Let it be to me according to your word. Now this is, this is the kind of submission that you and I need. Mary herself, she does not understand how this can happen. She doesn't understand how God can pull this off. But even though she doesn't understand it, she submits herself to the will of God, even though it makes no sense to her. We should follow her example and offer childlike submission to the Father from heaven. And just do what God wants us to do. Just do what He wants you to do. You may not understand it. You don't have to understand it. Trust God. This is what trust is. Right? Trust. Think of all the times when you saw there's a lady in our church from Texas, her name was Caroline Sanders. And I don't know if she's still alive or not, but she was, I thought she was 107 years old in Texas, just by looking at her. Well, she may have only been 50. <laughs> and what I've, what I've noticed, you know, you know, I'm going to tell you guys something. All right? Lately, I've had more than one person ask me when I turned 60. It's a miracle I haven't committed murder. <laughs> so, you know, anyway, old Caroline. Now, she used to bring us these little cupcakes that she would make, and they were, like, filled with cream or some ooey-gooey stuff on the, on the inside. And, and, and I said to her, I said, Caroline, I said, how do you get that stuff on the inside? She said, well, you put the batter in the little cup, and you put a dollop on top, and it winds up in the middle. And I said, no way. <laughs> because I figured that she had some kind of goo syringe that she <laughs> filled them with. I used to go, I used to, go to this uh, Taiwanese or Thai, Thailandese donut shop, and they had filled donuts, right? And you, you walk in there and say, hey, I want to get a jelly-filled donut. They say, just a minute. And they run back to the back and they had a machine that they squirted in there. And I thought, that, and I, I just said, I said, there's no way, Carol. She said, I said, how does it get from the outside to the inside? She said, I don't know. <laughs> I just know what happens. She said, I watch my mom do it and I do it. It just works. You don't have to understand how everything works to enjoy it. Just trust. Trust God. Friends, I'm not asking you to put your trust in me or in anybody else, another person in this church. Put your trust in God. He will do the impossible. Now, Mary is a, is a girl. Now, we don't know how old she is. There's all these guesses about her age. Probably a teenage girl. A teenage girl having a baby. That's gross. Oh, my grandma was 15 when she got pregnant with my mom and had my mom when she was 16. 
But Mary is, is a teenage girl. And you guys may not know this, but teenagers can be sometimes very astute. Teenagers can be shrewd. They can be downright wise sometimes. Did you guys know that? Mm -hmm. they, they can be. They can be. Once every two million years. <laughs> Mary is a thinker now. Now she's been around. She's been living in, you know, Sheboygan, Judea. <laughs> Her whole life. She knows how small towns work. She knows what's what. And she knows that if she is all of a sudden pregnant, people are going to talk. People are going to talk. She knows that people are going to talk. Now, people in the old times are just like people today. And, you know, when you see a girl or a lady starting to show, they give you brothers, they give you men's <laughs> advice, right? If you see a woman who you think is pregnant, just keep your mouth shut. <laughs> Leave those assessments to the trained eye of the ladies. Because ladies know, men do not. <laughs> and uh, just because I was, I was married, I, I've been married to a pregnant woman. I'll say this too. Not every pregnant woman likes it when you put your hand on their belly. <laughs> Hands off the belly. <laughs> Hopefully you won't be having more children. <laughs> so, um, Mary knew that people would talk. And she knew that if she started, she, she knew that the older women in her community, when she started to, to show that she was pregnant, that some old lady would say, well, I think she might be there's, there's that great scene in that classic manly film, Sarah Plain and Tall. You guys have seen Sarah Plain and Tall? I've been forced to watch a lot of stuff in my life. But in that, Sarah Plain and Tall, when Sarah goes back to Maine to see her family, it's her mother, her grandmother, her cousin, I can't remember which one, she says, oh, I knew you were pregnant. I could tell by your eyes. What happens when you get pregnant in your eyes? They, they bug out or something? I don't know. <laughs> but there's this, there's kind of this intuition that women have. And Mary knows people are going to know. She knows that some other lady might say, you know, I didn't know better. Because Mary and Joseph are not living that life yet. I'd say Mary's pregnant. Because people talk. Some people may say, you know what, they're not married yet. They have been down to the courthouse for the official ceremony, and Joseph still lives with his parents, and Mary still lives with her parents. So how 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 can this happen? People talk. People start talking about it. Probably, probably there's some mean, vicious gossip who, when they saw that she was pregnant, said, "You know, I saw her talking to a handsome stranger the other day." I thought they were staying a little bit too close. I thought they were leaning. I thought there's something going on over there. The, the, the people talk, don't they? It happens today. I'm sure it happened then. Mary knows this. This isn't her first rodeo. She knows how things are. She's been in the kitchen washing dishes and heard the ladies talking about things. Not gossip, right? 
Just sharing the news. Yeah. The kinder gossips may have said, you know, maybe her and Joseph just got a little too close. And you know, they're engaged. They're going to get married anyway, so it's kind of what happens. Mary knows people's talk. This, I, think, I, think, I think this carrying of the shame is a burden, is the primary burden that she and Joseph have to carry. Because God has given to her the Messiah. But God, had, God didn't have an angel appear to everybody in town and say, hey, Mary's going to have a baby, it's from the Holy Spirit. Only Mary and Joseph knew the truth. Now maybe when Mary heard this from the angel, it's possible that Mary may have disbelieved the angel on some level. Because sometimes God's impressions, God, God, God's leading in our lives, God's callings can sometimes, you may say, Lord, did you really say that? Is that really what you want me to do? Sometimes finding out the will of God can, can be difficult. So you kind of want to have green lights. When we lived in Topeka, Kansas, when you went down 10th Avenue, there was like 500 stoplights. And I used to get, I used, I used to have to go to work early in the morning. I would, I would leave the house and turn out on the 10th Avenue and head down towards the state capitol. And I would look down there and I could just, all those lights were white and I could see every green light. And I knew that if I didn't floor it, I was going to get stuck at half of it. That's 5.30 in the morning, so now I'm flying down through there. And one red light would pop up. And you know what one red light leads to? Another, and another, and another, and another. And I remember looking down that street, and I would see green light, green light, green light, red. Green light, red. Sometimes I would wake up and pull out on 10th Avenue and be all red lights. And there was one morning when I pulled out there, and every light was green, from Gage Boulevard all the way past the state capitol. And I thought, I wish I had a camera to capture this miracle. <laughs> Every light was green. You know what? I was able to get my 1999 Chevy Lumina LTZ up to an appropriate speed where I made all of <laughs> two miracles in one day. Actually, three, because there was no police officer. <laughs> Mary may have thought, you know, maybe this is not really going to happen. But then... It becomes obvious she's going through the changes of pregnancy. She feels the quickening in her womb. She knows she's got to tell Joseph. Maybe because people are talking in the village. You know, maybe Mary never got a chance to even tell Joseph with her own two lips what happened. But I can see him when he found out, when he found out from the neighborhood. Somebody comes over to the house, knocks on the door. He's out in the back, sitting on a rock. And his buddy says, hey, my mom says she's 99.99% sure that Mary's pregnant. And I'm your best pal. And I thought maybe you would have told me. What are you talking about? She ain't, no, no, we, 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 there's, we ain't been doing anything, man. She is not pregnant. And he says, look, my mom says she is. Mrs. Smith says she is. Mrs. Jones says she is. Everybody's talking about it. And the other day, I started walking down the street, 
And I saw a big gust of wind wrap her serape around her and look like a baby belly to me. I can see Joseph shooting up off of his stoop, headed straight over there, knocking on the door. Not that friendly knock. That mean knock. Mary's mama call out, Mary, Joseph's here. She says, tell him to come back to the back. You know, he goes back there. And he says, now look. My best buddy came over and told me that his mom thinks you're pregnant. That all the old women in town think you're pregnant. Are you pregnant? What's she going to say? I am. But Joseph, it's not what you think. I can see him. I can see his, 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 his anger being up. And you brothers understand that, don't you? Your sweetie pie, your sugar, your girlfriend, your intended, your fiance. And she says she's pregnant, and you know you haven't been. You know it's not from you? You'd be mighty wound up. And there she is, looking him in the eye and telling him, No, Joseph, it's not. It's an angel. God has done this. The Holy Spirit is doing this. Done this. This is this is the Messiah. I can see him just. Living with rage and anger. But as he looks into those warm brown eyes and sees the tears welling up at the corners and sees them just trickling down from the side, his heart had to be touched for he wanted to believe her. He wanted to believe her. But how can he believe her? This is preposterous. This is madness. How can this be? I can see him take a turn and take it off and head back to his house. He gets back there and he says, well, it's true. Just in his mind thinking, it's true. And he goes into the back, slams the door, sits down on a rock. What's he going to do? What's going to happen? I can see in my mind's eye his sister coming over. And saying, Joseph, trying to talk to him. Maybe his big brother coming over. Maybe a little brother coming over. Maybe his mom coming to talk to him. Maybe his father. To work out this situation. What should you do, Joseph? And the Bible says that Joseph was seriously thinking about divorcing her, about breaking it off with her. Now, he didn't want to be cruel about it. He was just going to do it on, on, on the QT. Just have a little private annulment. And she could go her own way. He could go his own way. But in all that rage and all that, all that angst in his heart, what does he do? It looks like he just falls asleep. Have you ever gotten really, really incensed, enraged, angry? It's kind of high. And then you come down and you just feel like, whoa. You're sitting on that rock, head on his hands, thinking, oh God, what should I do? And he falls asleep. But while he's sleeping, the angel appears to him, Gabriel. What does Gabriel say? Fear not to marry her. Because the child that she is carrying is from the Holy Spirit. And Joseph has a choice to make. Believe what God is saying. Believe this messenger or not. Now Joseph, he also knows people are going to talk. Because he goes ahead and marries her. Everybody in town is going to say it. We know what they've been up to. People are going to start counting, you know? You know how counting is? 
got a couple that get married, and then they have a baby, and, and some shrewd, weak counter will go, now let's count. <laughs> 40 weeks minus eight. <gasps> so people, they, they, know, they know. This is how, these are, this is a normal situation. People are thinking, talking about it. But Joseph, he decides that he is going to do what God wants. He is going to trust God. He's going to submit himself to this. And the Bible gives us this, this story. And when we see Joseph waking from his sleep, at the word of the Lord, he goes out and he takes Mary to be his wife. He marries her. Now, my friends, Mary is a great woman, obeys the Lord, yields herself to him, and so is Joseph also is a great man. May we also have faith like him. And then Joseph, in an incredible act of self-discipline, now he has the wife, the contractual period is over, the conjugal period has arrived, and what does he do? The Bible says he does not have sex with her until she brings forth the child. But it's actually longer than that. Because in the Jewish culture, after a lady had a baby, she had 30 days or so of purification. So a child is born, she's judged to be unclean by the ceremonial laws for 30 days, and they can't come to as man and wife until that period's passed. So Joseph, actually, he doesn't get to enjoy the fruits of, of the marriage relationship for a year. That's my calculation, about a year. He deprives himself. He disciplines himself for one year. This, these two people are wonderful role models for us. People who are committed to God's will. Now what do you do? What do you do in that kind of situation? What's the next step? So now they're married. People are talking. You can't shut people up, can you? So you just got to get busy living and keep your mouth shut and keep your head down. Whenever somebody said something snappy to Mary, what do you think she did? You think she scratched out the eyeballs? You think she told them where to go, where to put it? You think she did? I don't think she did. I think she probably just bowed her head and went on. And there's Joseph who goes down to the big shop to buy some minnows. <laughs> The guys are all down there talking, you know. And somebody says something coarse or untoward to him. You, you think he stalked anybody? You think he knuckled up? I don't think so. He doesn't want to call it. Just put his head down, went on his business. My friends, in your life, sometimes you're going to suffer wrongs. People are not going to understand you. The only way you're going to get through is just to, just to live it down. Just to keep going forward, step by step. Just let God vindicate you. My dad taught me a lot of great things. It's only time. It's only 12.30. My dad taught me a lot of great things. But one thing my dad taught me that uh, I think maybe the greatest lesson he taught me was that God will vindicate you in his time. God vindicates in his time. God vindicates. We get impatient, we want to vindicate. God will vindicate you in time. Joseph and Mary, 
What they do, they just put their head down and they get busy living. And then God does them a favor. Big old fat juicy favor. My favorite guy. And you know what God does? In the midst of all this confusion and accusation, you know what God does? A decree goes out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And guess what they get to do? They get to leave town. <laughs> Man, sometimes there ain't nothing better than getting out of Dodge. He gets his little wife, puts her on the back of maybe a donkey or a camel or the, you know, in the bed of a Toyota, and he takes off to Bethlehem. And they get down there to Bethlehem, and Bethlehem is packed with people. It's just, it's like the Sheboygan River when the salmon come in there. It's just full of people. And what you have in that mass of humanity is lovely, delicious anonymity. Nobody knows who they are. Nobody knows anything about them. And they get to have the birth of this child in a private place, not the best of places, but all by themselves, just the two of them. Nobody around to mock them. Nobody around to say, let's put the right stuff on the birth certificate. Nobody's around. Just him and her. What a blessing God gave to them. What a blessing. And then, after little baby Jesus is born, she's got him all wrapped up in those little swaddling clothes, and his little pink, round, pudgy faces there. And while they're sitting there thinking about it, there's a knock on the door. That's Jose, the chief shepherd. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, Hey! We were out here watching over these sheep. And all an angelic choir appeared in, in the sky and told us that there's a baby who's born, he's the Messiah, and he, and, and he said that this, this kid's going to change everything. Where is he? Now look, friends, they are strangers in a new town surrounded by a mass of humanity. Nobody knows who they are or where they are. They're just tucked away in a corner, and in the midst of their obscurity, God sends to them a special affirmation of his watch care over their life. Nobody else appreciates it. They ain't with them shepherds knock on the door. And they say, we're here to see the baby. How'd you know we got a baby up in here? Well, the angels told us there was a baby here. And then the shepherd boys, they gather around there, and they say what all men say. Ugh. <laughs> That's a beautiful baby. If they were fathers themselves, they, they knew what to say. Oh, look at him. What color. Look at those eyes. If it's a beautiful baby, what do you say? Looks just like his mama. If it's an ugly baby, you say it looks just like his daddy. <laughs> but then the shepherds, they got to go away. And Joseph and Mary are sitting there kind of in a whirl in a daze. And then either that same night or within the same week, there's another knock on the door. It's 
three wise men who've come all the way from Persia. They said, we have seen his star. We are come to worship him. Now this is striking. They had these very lowly shepherds. And now they have these men who by their dress and by their look and by their speech, they know these people are not from around here. They said, we've come to worship him. And in this act of worship, this young couple, just starting out in life, these wise men bring to them three gifts. One is gold. Now gold kind of explains itself, doesn't it? Gold is prosperity. Gold is wealth. Gold is money. Gold is good. Gold. How much gold do they bring? Probably some biblical scholar has rooted it out somewhere. But it was gold. You know what? I've been so broke in my life sometimes that a $10 bill is just as beautiful as a $100 bill. Now, I don't think that way anymore. <laughs> gold. Some disposable income. And the second thing they give is frankincense. Now, frankincense, from what they, they say, the biblical scholars say, was from a tree, this tree sap from Persia. And if you, I, I, I tried to write this up. I tried to write this. <laughs> I tried to write this in different ways. They would take the sap, and you could ignite it, light it. Somewhere or another, you set it on fire, and it would burn. And it smelled like you hit the jackpot and Bath and Body Works. <laughs> Just filling the house. Very desirable. Especially at a time when there was no right guard. Or left guard. <laughs> All these smells. A beautiful smell. Very light, very portable, very valuable. Something that was easy to convert into. The coin of the realm if you need. And then the third thing they bring is myrrh. Now in Texas, there was a place in Texas where, this, this is kind of a spooky thing, I'll tell you. There was a Greek Orthodox monastery near where we lived. And this guy came to see my church one time, and he said he went down to the shrine at this little place, and they had a picture down there that they said oozed myrrh every day. And for a few bucks, the guys at the monastery would take a cotton ball and dab it there. You take that murder, you can you know, do stuff. And this guy was telling me his wife was sick. And she was having a baby and there was some kind of complications and they rubbed the murder on her on her belly and supposedly healed her. I don't know what to say to something like that. When he said murder, that's my that's my only experience with murder from first hand to talk about. But the biblical, the biblical scholars, they say Myrrh was also from the sap of a tree in Persia. It smelled good, but it also had pain-relieving qualities. If you mixed it with a little wine, it would ease your aches and pains. Now, after you get done having a baby, you don't really feel too spry. 
You guys ever read, uh, you guys know what Pearl S. Buck was? Pearl S. Buck? She wrote the book, The Good Earth. And uh, Wang, the principal character, he has a wife who's very ugly named Uman. Her main ugliness is the fact that she has big feet. Which tells us something about China, doesn't it? <laughs> I was funnier than that, I thought. <laughs> Mulan, she brings forth his first baby right in the midst of the harvest season. And Wang is amazed because within three or four hours of giving birth, Mulan is back out there in the field right beside him, harvesting rice. Wow. What a special woman she is. Of course, she's fiction. So. <laughs> But just to say that here they are, probably in a time when they could use some medicine like that. What does God do? He provides it. What you have here are two affirmations from God the shepherds and the wise men. God reaching his mighty finger down from heaven and saying in a tangible way, I see you. I care about you. I love you. I'm with you. I haven't forgotten about you. My friends, as you go along in your life doing God's will, God does that. He knows we need to know he's there, so he does things from time to time to let us know he's there. These affirmations. He does it because in Psalms 113, 103, verse 14, the Bible says he remembers our frame. He knows we are dust. Now what can dust handle? What can dust handle? Not too much. All it takes is a gust of wind to make the dust fly. You ever had your blower, your little leaf blower? You ever take that thing in the garage? You think you've got a clean garage? Take your blower in there. Whoosh! It's, I've done it. It's amazing. I'm standing way over here with my blower. I see some dust over there. And I just turn it just a little bit. And I watch and I see that little leaf start to move. <laughs> and I'm a long ways from it. It's amazing. That's us. We are fragile. We're just dust. God knows it. He knows the dust needs some special attention sometimes. So he reaches down from heaven and gives it to us. As they're following God's God assures them that he's at work. These two young people who are key to Christ coming into the world and this son that Mary bears him, the same Jesus who went to the cross and died in the place of all who will believe save us. This is the light that she brought into the world. This light that emerged in Bethlehem. This light that shines into the hearts of men and women all over this world, showing them their unrighteousness. But this light doesn't just show them their unrighteousness. 
Jesus just does not say you are a sinner. Jesus says you are a sinner and I've come to save you from your sins. This light shines upon both the problem and the solution. Jesus has come to make the unrighteous righteous. Romans 3 says this, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. This is the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. If you believe in Jesus as your Savior, you can become righteous. Your unrighteousness can be taken away. You can become righteous. Now I'm going to give you six takeaways, okay? I'm sorry that there's six of them. But we won't spend too much time. Six things, okay? Number one. God's purpose in this world requires the use of people. The use of people. Are you going to be part of God's purpose? What's God calling you to do? What's God calling you to do? I don't know what God's calling you to do. He may, he may want you to join this church. He may be calling you to follow him in believer's baptism. He may be calling you to surrender your life in some different way. I don't know what it might be. But if God is calling you, do God's will. We could say in one sense that God needs you. God wants you to do his will. Number two. Like Joseph and Mary, we need to trust God. Trust him to do what we don't believe is possible. Trust God. Trust God. Number three. The reward that you receive for serving God will outweigh and outshine anything that we suffer here. And the best example of this I know is of Jesus Christ himself in Philippians chapter 2, who made himself of no reputation, was scorned and mocked and derided, and suffered even the death on the cross. But God, for Christ's faithful service, God has given him a name that's above every name, the name that will cause everyone to bow and confess. God knows what you're made of. He knows your frame. And, and listen, I'm going to say this to you. This, this is a fair, I guess this is fairly bold. God will give you some heavenly affirmations as you serve him. He will. He will. I guess I can stop here and testify from my own personal experience, but listen, I, I've been a Christian now. Yes, most of my life. I've been serving the Lord about half my life intentionally. That means my parents haven't been making me <laughs> for half my life. I've been doing it. I'm free God to make a will. And my friends, I can tell you, God has affirmed my decisions to follow him again and again. God will give affirmations. Number five. In the Christmas season, when we're thinking about gifts, I want you to think about being like Mary and Joseph and giving yourself to the Lord. That's Romans 12, 1 and 2. Offer yourself up as a sacrifice to Him. Give yourself to Him. Say, Lord, here's my life. Take it. Number six. It may take time to see the full picture what God's doing. It may take a long time for you to see the role that you've played in God's redemptive plan. 
But one day you will see it. Of that you can be 